Focus on what God is doing now in the text. God is always perfect. Yeah. See, that's where we tend to focus is on the mistake, on the continued behavior that never changes. But God here intercedes on behalf of Abraham and Sarah. Right? Is that what it says? Verse 3. But God came to Avimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are about to die. How comforting would that be if you had that dream? <laughs> you are about to die because of the woman you have taken since she is someone's wife. Now Avimelech now came, uh, responded, had not come near her, so he said, Lord, will you kill even an upright nation? 
Didn't he himself say to me, she's my sister? And even she herself said, he's my brother? In doing this, my heart has been pure, my husband, my hands are innocent. God said to him in the dream, yes, yes. I know that in doing this, your heart has been pure. Interesting concept. And I too, notice, I too have kept you from sinning against me. Remember what's going on. Two chapters ago, we were in chapter 18, and we were learning about a conversation. We saw that Adonai, Yahweh, came to Abraham, and in Sarah's hearing that, in a year's time, at the appointed time, in a year's time, Sarah will have a son. And so God intervened here. He interceded here to make sure that that prophecy, that promise was fulfilled. Because we're just, what, maybe a month, two months at the most removed from that conversation. And so God had to intervene. And he, Romans tells us he's ever interceding on our behalf. The Spirit is ever interceding on our behalf because of who he is, because of Yeshua in us. Wow. Think about that in your own personal lives. The time that he has interceded on your behalf to keep you from stumbling, falling. And even when Abraham falters and he does not have the, quote-unquote, the, the faith that we would think he would have, God still intervened because God has a purpose. Amen? Let's go down here. Because there is something here when I keep reading this text, and then we'll get into 21 and go a little bit more detail. Abimelech gets up. He tells his household what's going on. Now he confronts Abraham in verse 10. We'll pick it up there. Abimelech went on asking Abraham, whatever could have you cost you to do such a thing? What were you thinking? This is Abraham's reply. Depending on your translation. <laughs> but I find that it was because I thought. I'm just going to marinate right there a minute. It's because I thought. How's your thinking? Now what does he say next? Surely the fear of God. Huh? There could not possibly be any fear of God. Wow. I find it interesting because who's the one that should have had the fear of God? But because of history, because if you go on and read the text a little later on, this has been the status. This is what they have decided him. And uh, Sarah said, you know, wherever we go, tell people I'm your brother and I'll tell them you're my sister. And this has been what he's been doing according to the text. Because once again, he is still human. He is still at times doubt. He still at times struggles with what God has promised him in the future. How many of us have the same struggle with the promises, prophecies of God? When he has spoken a word to us, we know that we know that we know it's from God. We, we understand it's from God. It speaks and it bears witness with our spirit, but then again, we still doubt. We still 
think to ourselves. We link to our own understanding instead of trusting Yahweh. Amen? Mm -hmm. But God is good. Because He has a purpose. And just in Abraham's life, He has a purpose for your life. And so sometimes He has to intervene and intercede on our behalf because of our doubt, our unbelief. I'm thinking of the time when Yeshua and Peter, James, and John went on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And while He's up there, a father brings his son to the other disciples who are down below, asking them to deliver his son, pray for him, and deliver him from the spirit that keeps throwing him into the fire, keeps throwing him into the water, and yet they couldn't do it. And so when Yeshua comes down, he, he goes to the commotion, what's going on here, and, and the father says, I tried to get your disciples, I want your disciples to pray on my behalf to deliver my son from this demon, but they could not. And... Yeshua makes a comment, do you believe, says, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, we all struggle with that in our walk, in our journey. He's been walking now for some 25 years with the Father, and yet he still has this moment just before the birth of Isaac, just before the conception of Isaac, because as we read the text, God had to make sure that there was no doubts that this son that was going to be born, Yitzhak, was Abraham's and nobody else's. That had to be clear. That had to be purposeful to make sure that there is no doubt that Yitzhak was born to Abraham. And the text tells us. Now, chapter 21. Let's move on. Oh, here. Let me do this. Let you know I heard you. Correct your mistakes. There you go. It's my OCD happy. Anyway, 21. It tells us in verse 1. Uh, I don't know, I remembered. Now, this translation doesn't use the right word here, remembered. It should be visited. Pachab. It's not Zakar, it's Pachab in the Hebrew text. It's visited. You remember one a time that the Holy Spirit visited somebody? else later on? Mary. Mary. Same principle. Because he visited her, eventually a horn of salvation was raised up. Yeshua. So he remembered Sarah as he had said, and Adonai did for Sarah what he had promised. He had promised it. And we know that he can't break a promise. I mean, there are we say there's nothing that God can't do, but yet He can't lie and He can't break a promise. Ah, thank you for the water. Sarah conceived. And for Abraham, a son in his old age, at the very time at Moed, that's the Hebrew word Moed, the appointed time, had said to him, and so Abraham called his son, born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Notice how it wants to make clear who the father is. That there's no doubt in where, who bore the son and who the father is. Mother and the father. And they called him Yitzhak, which means what? Isaac. Isaac? Laughter. Yeah, because remember when Abraham first heard in chapter 17, he laughed, right? 
When Sarah heard it, she laughed, and yet Sarah got, excuse me, Sarah got rebuked for laughing. One was joyous, and one was, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. Abraham circumcised Yitzhak when he was eight days old, as God had ordered him. So that was a continuum, remember? Chapter 17 was when he learned the commandment of circumcision at eight days. Now it tells us he was 100 years old. Verse 6 says, God has given me reason, as Sarah says, good reason to laugh. I mean, what a joyous occasion. Think about that for a minute. Nine year old, 90 years, 90 years old, and you're giving birth to a son. I think I would have cried. <laughs> but you got to remember that how old was Abraham when he died? Probably 900. Probably a lot. 120? No. 175. 175. Sarah was 137, I and she said, would, who would have said? Abraham that Sarah would nurse children. Nevertheless, in, in uh, you're going to be Nayak. I love, I have borne him a son in his old age. The promise has come to pass. Remember when he left, your Chaldees, when he left his relatives, the, the land, his father's household, that was a promise. I will make you a father of many nations. You'll be a father of many nations. This promise has been around for 25 years now. A prophecy that is still being fulfilled today. Look around. You're part of that prophecy. Well, don't get too excited. I'm not kind of... <laughs> Got that deer caught in the headlight look again. Verse 8, the child groom was weaned. Notice, the, you know, when we celebrate birthdays, which are a good thing, but there's only two places in Scripture where birthdays are celebrated. That's why it's Pharaoh and Herod. Mm. Right? I'm just saying. But Abraham gave a great banquet because he's weaned. And I was kind of, when you were talking about your upbringing and that, that moment when HRS woman, and you did what was normal, what you were conditioned to do, get the hobo bag, and the mother says, no, you put it back. That was the moment you were weaned from that situation. You were set free from dependent upon HRS. And then you were weaned. And, and then you said they had a celebration a while later? Hmm. Well, well done. Congratulations. But Sarah saw the son of Haggai. Uh, have you ever noticed in your own life there is always something, someone that can be a thorn in your side? <laughs> now I've got your attention. <laughs> All right? You weren't too thrilled about prophecy being fulfilled, but, oh, I can relate to the thorn. 
Right? But why is the thorn there? Have you ever asked God why there is a thorn in your side? What did Paul say about the thorn? It kept me humble. It kept me becoming or being dependent on the creator of the universe. The one who saved me. The one who can who is living in me, the one who loves me and died for me, the one who rose again and is ever interceding on my behalf. That thorn in your side is to help keep you humble, to keep us humble. Amen? And it's a good thing. I know. <laughs> and then we see the love of Sarah here. And can you just feel her love? <laughs> uh, Six, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom Hagar had born to Abraham, making fun of Yitzhak or mocking him, making sport of him, antagonizing him. So what does Sarah say to Abraham? Throw her out. Take her to the curve. Get rid of her and that son of hers as well. Because I don't want her sharing in the inheritance with my son Yitzhak. And understandably so, but who's, once again, as we read the text and we can relate to these stories, where is God in this? Why is He allowing this? I, I, you know, He kept, He kept uh, Avi, Malek from having relations with Sarah, Sarah, but He didn't stop Lot's daughters from having. Relationship. Hmm. You know, eventually there's the nation of Moab. You know, eventually there's the nation of Ammon. You know, eventually there's the nation of Ishmael, the that Arabia, and we know eventually Esau is Edom, and these are all families that are antagonistic or opposed to Israel, and yet. Israel is still thriving. They've had their moments and they've gone through their stuff. They've gone through the fires. They've gone through the thorns. They have gone through, but there is still Israel today. It may not be what we hoped it to be. It may not have yet fulfilled the potential, their full potential, but one day they will. Because once again, he has a purpose for Israel. He has a purpose for us, collectively and individually. He goes on, verse 11. <laughs> now, understand Abraham. I mean, Ishmael is his son. And you can understand his love for this son, you know, because, you know, remember when he rescued Lot, he came back and he was praying and asking God, who's going to be my heir? Will it be Eliezer? And he says, no, you will have a son. Next thing you know, Sarah says, here, take her. And she gives a son to him. It's like, oh, you know, I thought this was the way it was supposed to be. But it wasn't. But it tells us this. Even though he's distressed, he's perplexed, he is hurting that he has to get rid of his son and send him away. His son that he has raised now for maybe 20 years, roughly, give or take a few years. You know, he's taught him things and nurtured him and loved him and cared for him and is teaching him many things. And now he's got to say, bye. 
But God. I love that. I love that. But God. First time I ever noticed those two words together in Ephesians chapter 2 when it talks about we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love toward us, made us alive in him. But God. You know, anytime you're going through a situation and you got the thorn in the flesh, you're going through a difficult time, a time of healing, but God. But God. But God said to Abraham, don't be distressed because of the boy and your slave girl. Listen to everything Sarah says. Hmm. Because it is because it is your descendants from Yitzhak who will be counted. But I will make a nation from the son of the slave girl since he is descended from you. Think about that. Lot was rescued because of his connection to Abraham. Twice over. Ishmael, because of his connection and is a descendant of Abraham, God is going to make him a great nation. Because of the promise made to Abraham, God will honor even those things that are born out of his will, if you will. may not be ideal, and I, I don't know how many of you have ever birthed an Ishmael. A problem, a situation. And now God is saying it's time to get rid of him. Get rid of it. That just lets you think on that a minute. So he gets up early in the morning. <laughs> Gives him what? Skin of water and some bread. See you later. Not much in that way of supplies, is it? I mean, how many of us can live on, well, let's see, how much How much would you put in a skin of water in those days? How big was it? Anybody have an idea? Quart. Quart? Yeah. A loaf of bread like the hollow bread we got here? How long would that last? Maybe two days. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a few hours of water. <laughs> yeah. But well, let's see what God's up to again. Because he made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to make him into a great nation. Right? So verse 14, got up early morning, took bread and skin of water, gave them to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and he sent her away. After leaving, she wandered in the wilderness around Beersheba, well of oak, well of seven. When the water in the skin was gone, she left a child under a bush and went and sat down, looking the other way, about a bow shot distance. Not very far. 50, 100 feet, 100 yards, whatever. And she says, I can't bear to watch my child die. Understandably. So she shot. Excuse me. So she sat there, looking the other way, crying out and weeping. Notice in this verse, God heard whose voice? The boy's voice. Wow. He hears the voice of the boy. 
Once again, God is now going to intercede on behalf of Ishmael. Figure that one out. He has to leave his father Abraham to become a great nation himself, because anytime you're under the father's household, you never become more than what the father is in all reality. Think about it. That's why we're here. He's making us into his kingdom here in this little area to spread it out throughout the area. Right? That kingdom come, that will be done on earth. You're part of kingdom spreading. Hmm. Anybody signed up for that? Or are you just happy with your little, your little kingdom? See, it's about expanding his territory, not ours. Because what does he want? What does God really want? What has he asked us to do? Spread the word, worship him, love him. How do we do that? What are one of the ways we do that? Pardon? Loving your neighbors, yes. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick in the hospital or in prison, you visited me. When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And we do it out of love, not out of what we get out of the deal, hopefully. But we do it because we love God and we love our fellow human beings. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Verse 17, God heard the boy's voice and the angel of God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's wrong with you? <clears throat> Ever pay attention to the question in Scripture? Where are you, Adam? Don't be afraid because God has heard the voice of the boy in his present situation. He's heard, the, he hears us in our present situation. Whatever that may be, good, bad, or indifferent. The question is, are we crying out? Are we, are we calling on him? Are we talking to him? He already knows what's in our heart. Nothing is hidden from him. Whatever we're going through, we can't hide it from him. And yet, even in the midst of when we're doing the wrong thing, He is still loving us and interceding for us to get back on track with Him. Because He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And it's more than about us. It's about what He wants. Are we willing to agree with Him and, and follow what He is leading us to do? Verse 18, get up, lift the boy up, and hold him tightly in your hand because I'm going to make him a great nation. Similar repeat, right? Told Abraham he's going to have a son. Sarah heard that he's going to have a son. God told Abraham, I'm going to make him into a great nation. Hagar had to hear that same thing out of the mouth of two or three. Remember everything established by two or three witnesses? Then God opened her eyes. Remember the one servant of Gehazi? God opened his eyes to see the myriad, the host of heaven that were there to fight the battle that was about to come upon Israel. 
during Elisha's time? You see, there is that prophecy here, that prayer, I generally pray, open up our eyes that we may see. Paul talks of that. May the eyes of your heart be open to him so that you can understand what his purposes are. He wants to open our eyes to see these things. Our physical eyes as well as our spiritual eyes. He wants to train up our senses, our, our seeing, our hearing, our taste, our touch, our sense of smell, to train us in righteousness so that we can discern between good and evil, according to Hebrews 5. He wants to help us to taste and see that He is good. Amen? How many of you taste and see that He's good? You know, in, in uh, yeshiva classes, in, when they're teaching the young boys the, the scriptures, the Torah, and the beginning of Leviticus, they also have honey and apples on the table. So as they're learning, they're dipping the apples in the honey and eating that as they're learning how good the scriptures taste. They're tasting and seeing this, this sense of smell. I don't know about you, but this morning there was a sweet fragrance in this room as the young people were singing. There was a sweet fragrance. It wasn't strong, but it was a nice sweet smell. But he wants us to even smell his beauty. Smell that he is a sweet aroma, and he wants to smell our sweet aroma, our savory practice, our love for him that... He smells our worship. The woman at the well. Remember her? John 4. When Yeshua and her are dialoguing and he asked her for a drink and she said what did she say? Where can I get this living water eventually? And when she finally learned that he was the Messiah, when he revealed who he was, she ran home, told everybody in that village who had pretty much scorned her because of her lifestyle, said, come see a man. He told me everything. You see, when we drink, when he drinks deep of our worship, we'll drink deep of his presence. I think that went over. <laughs> when, we drink, when he drinks of our worship, give me water, and I'll give you living water. We'll drink deep of his presence. Because the song that they sing about his presence, how many of you really sing that from the heart? And not just because they were words on the string. You, you literally meant that song and all the other songs we sang. You literally are asking, God, I want more of your presence. Or do we just go through the motions at times? Because that's the song up there. I'm going through something, and I don't really want to worship. That's the best time to worship when you're going through something. Verse 18 again, get up, lift the boy up, and hold him tightly in your hand, because I am going to make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw 
a well of water. A well of water. And we see that in many times, the importance of a well in Scripture. Think about the number of times the importance of a well. The first time we're mentioned is back in chapter 16 when Hagar was at a well and she called it Be'er Laha Roy, well of the living one who sees me. We saw, I talked about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We know that uh, Jacob meets Rachel at a well. We know that the well that that Samaritan woman met, Yeshua, was Jacob's well. Well are very significant in Scripture because what's the importance of water in a person's life? Everything. It's life. What about the spiritual wells? Later on, as we get into other wells in the text of Genesis, there's going to be an issue. We're going to have an issue here pretty quick with Abimelech in a well. Later on, Isaac has a problem with wells. And later on, we see wells are a vital part in the history of mankind. Because that's where it, it speaks more than just to the physical water. It's speaking to the spiritual well, the deep wealth of God's Word in our lives. Because it tells us that we are washed through the water through the Word of God, according to Ephesians 5. The water also represents the Spirit, the Spirit. A well of living water welling up inside of us. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. They're important. We have so much in us, and yet we limit what we have because of unbelief. Because of a society which is more about instant gratification. You know, I've got to get this now. I've got to pay this now. I mean, it began to erode back when they first began self-service gas pumps. Drive-up windows. ATMs now. Everywhere you go, you can go to a drive-up window because of what? I'm in a hurry. I want it now. But, <laughs> you ever gone to Chick-fil-A at noontime? <laughs> How many times you got to circle... If you're in the drive-up, you know, there for a long time, you couldn't even go inside because of COVID. But, you know, they were pretty quick. But, you know, the drive-ups aren't so quick anymore. The other day I was at an ATM. I want to go to an ATM at the bank I went to, but somebody didn't measure the top of their vehicle to the height <laughs> of the, uh, over, the covering over the ATM and boom, hit it, damaged it. So they had to block off the ATM, and so you had to go through the window. And so everybody's going through the window, drive up window, convenience. But we waited, right? See, God is not in a hurry as we think he is. He's got eternity. He's got eternity. We just like things now. Microwave. I mean, like instant coffee. <laughs> Not too many, but if you're in Uganda, what do you drink a lot? Yeah. Instant coffee. Fresh ground. Fresh ground. Amen. See, you know, it's amazing how many things are really worth the wait. You really think about it. We just have to learn to operate on His time and ask God, help me 
to operate on your time, not my time. Verse 20. God was with boy and he grew. He lived in the desert and became an archer. He lived in the Paran desert and his mother chose a wife from him from the land of Egypt. Understandably, she's from Egypt. Makes sense. Right? At that time, Abimelech and Chichol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham. They said, this is, you know, another interesting thing here. We saw in chapter 20 how God came to um, Abimelech in a dream, and it, we don't see like uh, Abimelech saying, who are you? Remember Samuel? When he was a little laid by the, the presence of God, and he heard, he heard the voice, he heard this voice, Samuel, and he thought it was Eli, so he'd run to Eli. Finally, after three times, he learned, oh, no, that's not Eli, it's the presence of God trying to get my attention. We see Abimelech converses in this dream. And now he says to Abraham, um, God is with you in everything you do. What a testimony. God is with you in everything you do. Therefore, swear to me hereby, God, that you will never deal falsely with me or with my son or grandson, but according to the kindness with which I have treated you, you will treat, you will treat me and the land in which you have lived as a foreigner. Remember what the promise was. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. Abimelech, man, God is with you. How, how many of you would like to have somebody walk up to you and say, God is with you in everything you do? As a testimony, as a witness to those who are wondering, is God real? Is this God real? You serve God, I understand that, but is He real? How do I know for sure He is real? And it's by our evidence by our witness, by the way we live in this world out here. Not so much how many scriptures we can quote, not how often we attend the service, not even how much Hebrew we know or Greek or whatever other language we know, but it's about how we live our lives in their presence, how we conduct ourselves, the integrity of our heart, our witness in our dealings business-wise, whatever that may be, how we treat our neighbor, literally our neighbor, and how we treat one another when we fellowship. It's all back to that testimony, that witness, so that people will know because of who you are and who's living in you and they see God in you, God has blessed you in everything you do. And I'm sure some of you are saying, God, help me. Help me. I want I desire that. If not, therefore, swear to me here that we're never getting into vows and oaths and that kind of thing. Those. Uh, uh, let me go on. Verse 24. Abraham said, "I swear." Now Abraham had complained. <laughs> That's an interesting term. He complained to Abimelech about a well which Abimelech's servants had seized, and so once again, water becomes an issue. How important is a well in a land? Once again, what are, you know, whenever you buy land, sometimes it sells the mineral rights, sometimes it don't. 
you own the land, but what's beneath the land is not yours. When um, Isaac dug wells, they told him, you know, the hole may be yours, but the water in the hole is ours. That's what they were telling him. And now there's this situation over the well, because the well is a symbol of also um, ownership. When you have a well and it's in your name, that is yours. It tells you that you're establishing things because you need the water to be able to live. To be, if you have animals and that kind of thing, to grow vegetables, that kind of thing. You have the water there, you've got a well there, because up until whenever they created city water, people had to depend on wells or nearby streams to be able to get the water in order to survive, right? And even city water, where does that water come from eventually? What's the, what's the source? Who owns it? <coughs> Do you, because you pay water bill, do you own the water in it? Or do they still own it? You're just paying for the use of the water. See, a well in this time and in that day, and in many places of the world even today, signifies this is ours. This belongs to us. This is a source for us to be able to thrive, to be able to live, to be able to move about and to help others do the same thing. And at times, sometimes even help those who wells dry up. Let's go a little deeper. How many of you realize you've got a will inside you? And there are others out there that they're drying up because they're parched, they're in a dry land. They're in the wilderness. And they need you to bring them the living water to help them to get back on track, to help them know that God, the living God who sees you, cares for you, and He's heard your voice. He heard your cry. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Recognizing what we have in us, what He has placed in us to help others to reach their potential. Uh, 25, once again, Abraham had complained to Abimelech about a well which Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech answered, I don't know who has done this. You didn't tell me. I heard about it only today. Abraham took sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Not a contract, but a covenant. An importance of a covenant. You know, the Brit Malah. A cutting. And whatever is done, if I break my part of the covenant, whatever is done to these animals should be done to me. That's why when God made the first covenant with Abraham, when he put Abram in a deep sleep, and there was the smoking fire pot and the, or the fire pot and the smoking torch, flaming torch and the smoking fire pot, thank you, Mike. You know, he put Abram in a deep sleep because he knew Abraham could not keep his part of the covenant at that point in time. So God made a covenant with himself. And then later on, he gives him the covenant of circumcision. We know that Abraham keeps that circumcision even to this day. But it even goes a little deeper. It talks in the scripture about, you know, a covenant in our heart. Cutting our heart. Having the circumcision of the heart. Removing that deadness, that hardness, that stony heart. And asking him to give us a new heart, a heart of... Of flesh, and we understand that, but he's saying tender 
and open and pliable and allow me to work in your life in that new heart, in a new spirit. And you know, if you go through and count all 613 commandments, you're not going to find that have a circumcised heart in the 613 commandments. It's not there. That's why I was saying 613 plus 1. Go through. You don't believe me. Because <laughs> we automatically think it should be there, right? Right? But it's not. Why do you think that is? I'll just let you ponder that. <laughs> Abraham put seven female lambs from the flock by themselves. Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven female lambs you, are, you have put by themselves? Always the significance with God. What, you know, the number seven, what's that mean? Perfection. Perfection, completion. Finished. Eight means what? New beginning. New beginning. Continue. And so, Abimelech asked the question, what is the meaning of these seven female lambs you have put by themselves? He'd already given them animals. They've made a covenant, and now there are these seven female lambs, not rams, but female lambs, by themselves. Verse 30 says, You are to accept these seven female lambs from me as a witness that I dug the well. And I dug the well. It wasn't them who dug it. It wasn't other people in the nations before me dug it. I dug it. My people dug it. And this is a witness. I want to complete myself. That's what it's meaning, seven myself. In other words, this is how sincere I am that I dug this well. That I'm willing to give you seven as a sign of completion, as a sign of um, perfection that I dug this well. Just want you to know. Because what is yours is yours. Don't let the enemy steal it from you. I didn't say that loud enough, did I? <laughs> 31. This is why the place is called Be'er Shabbat, well of seven, well of an oath, because they both swore an oath there. An oath is between two people with God as a witness. A vow is between you and God as people as a witness. Basically, the best way to kind of make it simple. Sometimes when we study these things, bound up to us, they, they sound similar, and then there is some component of similarity, but there is a distinction as well. And with an oath, as we see here, there's also other things involved in it. A well, these lambs. But God is my witness. You remember the day when you went to court? He swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, and what did we do? Now what do we do? You're going to tell the truth or not? Yeah. It's simple play. Well, I'll think about it. But, you know, that's the significance here. It was between him and Abimelech. God is a witness. Others around him are witnessing, and there is the seven new lambs in the well were part of this oath. This swearing in. 
And many of us, how many of us made vows when we got married? Oh, none of you? Yes. <laughs> how we doing on those vows, gentlemen? We did. We're doing our best, right? That's why we need God to help us. Amen. We need His help in everything we do. We need to acknowledge Him always throughout the day. We need to want to be able to converse with Him like this on a regular basis. And you know what? He wants the same thing. He's just waiting for us. And let me ask you, how many times... Well, let me tell you an old African proverb. Some of you may have heard this. I've told it before, but it's an African proverb. There's a king and his best friend. I think I'm running over time. I'll close with this. I'm on my third closing, by the way. There's a king and his best friend. And the best friend had this saying, it's a good thing. No matter what happened to people, it's a good thing. Good, bad, or indifferent. The first thing out of his mouth is a good thing. And it kind of irritated people when they would hear him say that. One day the king and the best friend were going hunting. The best friend gives the king the rifle to shoot it. The king shoots it and backfires and blows his thumb off. What did the best friend say? It's a good thing. The king got so upset that when they got back to the village, he threw the best friend in the prison and left him there. A year goes by. The king is out hunting, and he comes across some cannibals. And the cannibals take him hostage, take him back to their village, tie him up to the stake, get the wood all around, and get ready to light the fire. When one of them happens to notice he's missing a thumb. And because they're superstitious, they think it's a bad omen to eat somebody who is not completely whole, so they let him go. Now the king on his way back to the village is thinking about this. You know, reflecting on what just had happened. And so he gets back to his village, he goes to the prison, and he explains to his best friend what had happened. And the best friend said, it's a good thing. He goes, you know, I'm here trying to apologize to you and tell you that, you know, I was wrong for leaving you here in this prison for a whole year, and all you've got to say, it's a good thing. And the best friend says, think about it, King. If you hadn't, I'd have been with you today. <laughs> so delays are a good thing. Think about it. And so, in our journey with the creator of the universe, And we have these doubts. And we find ourselves falling back to that old behavior. Remember who's interceding on your behalf. And you don't have to continue to have that behavior. Because in chapter 22 um, of Genesis, when Abraham offers up Esau and is about to slay Esau, there is a statement that says, now I know that you fear God. Now I know you fear God. Somewhere along the line, he got it. 
Abraham got it. Somewhere along the line, we'll get it. Because of the one who's interceding on our behalf. Because of the one who has made a promise. He has made an oath. He swore by himself. By himself. And I'm going to bring you through to the other side. Whatever you go through, I still love you. I have not stopped loving you. I will never stop loving you. I have a purpose and a plan for you. And so whatever it takes to get you to the other side, I'm there for you to help you to get there. Are you willing to let me be God in your life once again? Are you willing to let me be God every day? Are you willing to say... I blew it. Are you willing to confess? Are you willing to humble yourself and allow God to be God once again? And lean not to our own understanding. And even say, God, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I want to be a blessing. I want to help others have that relationship. Even a stronger relationship with you than I do. That's how important this is. To me, that others come to know the truth of who you are and how great and awesome you are. That's my heart's desire. That's the vision I have for my life. To help others get there. May not always be pretty, may not always be clean, because after all, we're called messy antics. <laughs> Just playing the words there. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray and then we'll do the kiddish. Father, we thank you. And even when we give up, you don't give up. Even when we falter, you are unfaltering. Even when we are without hope, you give us hope. And help us to become like Abraham when we read in Romans 4 that we are fully persuaded that you will keep and bring us through to the promise. We thank you. And I thank you as we get ready to put, to partake in that food, the owning, that our fellowship would be sweet, our meditation of our heart, and the words of our mouth would be sweet unto you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. amen.